Hello and welcome to this TCT live broadcast. I'm Laura Griffiths, Defter Group Editor at TCT Magazine. We were recently invited to take a behind the scenes tour at Photocentric, a UK-based manufacturer of photopolymer resins and 3D printers. But due to social distancing measures and lockdown restrictions, we decided to send some questions over to the team to answer on the production floor and find out more about how its 36 large former LC Magna 3D printers are being used to manufacture millions of face shields for the NHS. Here's Photocentric's 3D Development Manager, Ed Barlow, to answer our questions. And after that, stick around as I'll be joined by TCT editors Daniel O'Connor and Sam Davis to talk more about the lessons the 3D printing industry has learned in responding to the crisis and how we might be better prepared for future challenges. So let's take a look. When COVID first hit, um, Photocentric, like many companies, wanted to help. Um, we looked at what we could contribute towards the, the huge effort towards producing PPE um, and we started designing one of these face shields um, we very quickly went through many iterations using our 3D technology um, and then very quickly scaled that technology up, scaled the production up to what you see behind me today. Can you talk about why 3D printing is actually a good fit? So 3D printing is a great fit for this, uh, this challenge in particular, mainly due to the speed it can produce. So we went from nothing to a, a finished product. We iterated it 23 times in a matter of days. Um, and then we could scale up remarkably quickly with 3D printing. There's no tooling involved. And you can just print wherever you like, whenever you like. So that was the main advantage. The process we use here at Photocentric is a, a new way of 3D printing that we developed here in, in the UK at Photocentric. Um, it uses LCD screens and prints using a liquid resin that which we turn hard with light. We take the light from the screen and produce a 3D part that we grow out of the liquid from there. We produce everything here, which is one of our big advantages. Whilst the, world, the whole world was shut down for COVID, um, we had the great opportunity, given that we make our own chemicals, we make our own resins, we formulate our own resins in-house uh, with our own chemistry team, we build our own printers with UK stock. So we had, this, uh, we had all the bits we required to build this farm behind me, and it allowed us to do this in a matter of a few weeks. Tell us about the Magna Farm. What's involved in running such a large-scale operation? The Magna Farm, as you see it behind me, is actually still under development. We've still got printers going in, we've still got machinery arriving, and we're still upgrading the equipment we've got, um, even six weeks later. That's just the development side of it. In terms of running it, it's a logistical challenge that we had to overcome in a very short space of time. We hired uh, over 60 new employees to run the farm. Um, we have new people trained to actually run the printers themselves. Then there's various other steps afterwards, which include uh, post-processing the parts, washing the parts, um, sticking foam and other bits onto the parts. We, we cut our own elastic, we cut our own shields for the face shields. Um, all of that we brought in-house, mainly due to uh, what else was happening in the world at the time, just was not able to get that running. So we brought everything in-house as much as we could, and that's what is behind it. Everyone's jumped on board. Um, we've had directors cutting elastic if needed. We've had um, everyone just doing whatever is required to get parts out the door. Uh, we're now at a stable production um, where we have a, a great team on, running 24 seven um, to produce the face shields. So you're delivering these face shields to the NHS. Yes. Can you talk about how that came about and your ambitions for the mass manufacture of over seven million? We originally set out with just a few printers, just uh, making a few which we were sending all over the world to whoever needed them at the start of the pandemic. Um, we then obviously received the NHS order for over seven million face shields, which was a huge um, challenge for us. It took a lot of effort and a lot of work, but we have managed to scale it up to uh, the required volume. So we're now producing at a rate of 50,000 a day, 350,000 a week, um, every, every week. 
the mass scale up of 3D printing is something that we have always wanted to do. It's been our vision from day one. Um, what this pandemic has actually almost allowed us to do um, has just taken that and advanced it hugely over the, uh, over the period. Has there been any hesitation from end users around using 3D printed products? There hasn't been any hesitation towards using a 3D part from, uh, from the customers. Uh, there's actually embraced it quite well and uh, a lot of people find uh, it quite an exciting thing that it's been produced with a technology uh, previously not used for this sort of mass scale uh, production. So it's quite a novel thing and uh, it's also very well suited to the production method. Obviously you've scaled this up in the fight against COVID and protecting the NHS workers. What are your plans moving forward out once this pandemic ceases to exist? Coronavirus has given us a means to rapidly scale up what we were always intending to do, which is custom mass manufacture. This magnifier behind me is the first of many. Um, it's something that we are rolling out as a company strategy going forward is much bigger production lines with 3D printing at its heart. Um, 3D printing as a whole is really still in its gestation period. It's mainly used for prototyping, tooling, that sort of thing. The mass manufacturer is something mostly still unattainable because of the material cost, because of the equipment cost. This behind me is uh, the first of many um, and it will be something that we continue as a business going forwards. As we grow, we'll be having many more magna farms in many different industries going forwards. And what, on the subject of industries, what industries do you think this technology can actually benefit? This sort of scale of manufacture is actually appropriate to many industries. For the first time, our technology is being able to compete with injection moulding. You can produce every object individually at scale at, very quickly. The real benefit we provide in the 3D printing is, is really the cost. That's why we're able to make these at such a competitive rate compared to even existing technologies such as injection moulding or, or foam or various other methods. Where those other manufacturing methods fall down is that they can't scale and they can't scale quickly. Everything has such a long lead time to get tooling um, that it's just unfeasible to produce what was needed in the short space of time. And with the way we've done it is that actually it rebalances where different technologies fit in we can now produce scale whilst still at a competitive price, which typically isn't done with 3D printing. I think COVID as a whole has changed the way the industry looks at 3D printing and changed the way the world looks at 3D printing. As a whole, 3D printing did step in when other technologies weren't able to get there. Um, and it did provide a, a great solution to many of the challenges faced by health workers uh, and various other departments. Um, what we've managed to do, I think, is scale and build a long lasting model that's competitive with many of these technologies going forwards, not just in the short scale of the coronavirus challenge. Thanks, Ed, for that interview. And that was Ed, so the 3D development engineer of Photocentric. I think I may have said manager before, but uh, not, not to worry too much there, hopefully. Um, yeah, and thank you as well to the team for posing those questions for us. We, we sent those a few weeks back now uh, to the guys over there to, to answer for us remotely. Um, and it's just one of the things that we've been trying to do recently as kind of, I really don't want to say the new normal, but there you go, I said it. Um, just one of the alternate ways of, of interviewing people and, and doing site visits. And I must say that has really made me miss doing site visits. So um, I'm joined here now by um, our head of content, um, Daniel O'Connor, and our assistant editor, Sam Davis. Hello. Hello, Laura. Hello. Does that make you miss going and doing site visits? Because I really do now. It makes me wish that I was going into a dark room. It's like uh, watching an old movie where they were gen uh, doing the uh, photographs in a dark room. <laughs> but no, uh, I'm stuck in a shed instead now, Laura. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. How are you finding it, Sam? No trains going past right now, I hear, which is pretty good. Yeah. So I, uh, as, as Ed was talking there, I quickly made the move from the conservatory to the dining room, not because of the trains, but because it's too hot in there. <laughs> can't work in any heat over 25 degrees, apparently. So. And I'm doing pretty well because just before we started this video, construction began outside of my flat, but now it seems to have, have, have shut down. So I think this has all worked out pretty well so far. Well, fingers crossed um, anyway. Anyway, so we're all we're all here today to to talk a bit about, first of all, about some of the points that, that Ed raised in the video, but also just um, more broadly about um, the way the 3D prints industry has, has really um, come together and reacted to the um, COVID-19 pandemic. We've spoke about this briefly already on a podcast a couple of months back, but of course things have really accelerated and, and changed in that time. And then also a little bit about um, what the things that we've learned really mean for the future of, um, of 3D printing and, and reacting to future future crises like this. Um, so since March, um, myself, Sam and Dan have been um, constantly um, contributing to um, a live blog about um, coronavirus and 3D printing, which is it 30,000 words, I think, with the last word count on it, something ridiculous like that. <laughs> yeah, I think, how long did you say that take to read, Sam? I googled it and it's 1.7 hours. Wow. Um, so. so you've got two hours. <laughs> but the way we did it as as a live blog, so just kind of, uh, you know, as news was coming in, which it really was coming in all the time. I mean, on a daily basis, we were getting like tens of press releases from companies that were making, whether it was 10 masks and sending them to a local business or whether it was um, companies like Photocentric producing millions to, to deliver to the NHS and other healthcare organisations. So what's nice now is to look at it as um, as, as sort of a timeline of, of how the industry responded from those initial things. Like I think the first story on there was materialised in one of those 3D printed um the, the door openers, like the hands-free door openers, um, to see how it's gone from that to something like photocentric mass manufacturing on such a huge scale. So that's been really cool to see how it's developed um, in that time. And of course, there are plenty of applications and loads of reasons why 3D printing is a good fit um, for, for something like this. And many of them are reasons that we already cite all the time for why 3D printing um, is, is, is a good fit for the things like um, supply chain gaps and, um, you know, making things at the point of demand and you know how many you need what when you need them and just um speeding up that whole design to manufacture process so i just wanted to talk to you both first all um just a little bit about the key applications that we've seen so far where, where 3d printing has kind of had the biggest impact during this pandemic and i guess um sam we'll start with with, with you just kind of any big examples or or kind of the, the real highlights that you've seen yeah well it, i mean in terms of applications i'm not sure how you measure which have uh, you know more impact against the, the the others but um if you take face shield components they seem to represent the low-hanging fruit application mm -hmm. in this in this instance with um a design that wasn't too complex um or an assembly process that wasn't too complex didn't seem to need a, a high performance material per se mm -hmm. um just something that was functional did the job we saw companies far and wide uh, deploying the technology for this application, churning out thousands of parts, collectively probably millions, tens of millions maybe, um, with all just like, you know, the one photocentric card from the NHS. Um, they seem to be, you know, welcome. Um, to a lesser extent, we had components for masks and respirators and valves to convert non-medical equipment to medical equipment. And then 
eventually after you know extensive testing and certification processes we we had the nasopharyngeal swabs um being produced at high volumes as well um i think by the time we got into maybe april um the number of tests being carried out and the number of tests able to be carried out became a huge discussion point certainly in the uk um so i think the millions of swabs that have been additive manu- additively manufactured by the likes of carbon origin form labs and vision tech um i think nexus 3d mentioned this week that they were doing stuff around that as well will have had a huge impact in identifying subsequently treating the virus um as the face shields will have done in, in allowing medical and other professionals to carry out their jobs so i think there's been huge impact right across the board mm-hmm. dan what about you any uh, in particular i don't want to say favorites that sounds like an odd question to ask but uh, <laughs> any particular key applications to highlight what i've found more interesting than that really is like how almost the technology is found there, like natural application in this. So, mm-hmm. you know, cheap FDM machines, people were churning out their own like uh, clips for face masks. Um, but then you've got the resin printers, which are doing the, the swabs. And we obviously, we saw like Structo was the most recent one. They're doing a million swabs for Singapore. And then you've got the origin and the carbon thing that Sam mentioned. And then you had like the metal machine manufacturers who were responding to the calls from the government for ventilators and things like that. So. There was no like kind of like it didn't seem like the, the industry needed to have a debate about where who's doing what and what's doing what. They all just kind of like got down to it. And it was really nice to see that in a crisis, people kind of, OK, we'll do this job, we'll do this job. And it was really nicely segmented rather than this like competition. And as Sam mentioned, with somebody like Carbon and Orange are doing the swabs, traditionally you would imagine that those two are pretty competitive. But I know that they joined forces to, for the greater good. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of more that's application more just the industry's response in general to okay well we'll do this you do this it's quite nice i thought mm-hmm. yeah i was talking to, to form labs about that yesterday actually and um you know they, they were just saying that because they, they're part of that same collaboration you just mentioned there with with like um carbon and, and origin to provide the, the test swabs and um just that it, it really hasn't been about this competitive spirit you know it, it has just been about seeing the, the need and just just getting the job done and really just talking to um the end users like healthcare centers are finding out what what they need rather than just kind of you know just try, trying to be the, the one solution to the problem which is something else I kind of wanted to to um, talk about it's just I remember at the start as I said we were getting so many press releases coming in every single day and it, it ranged from things like someone with their own 3d printer in the house wanting to print things um, and not knowing where to send them or it was like a company who was manufacturing thousands and um, like um, a BCN 3d was one that, that kicked off quite quite early on um, and I just think that at the start, it sort of seemed like there was a lot of goodwill and a lot of people wanting to help, but not necessarily a clear pathway about how to actually get that into the right hands or whether um, you know we we're making things actually were necessary. And I think the ventilators was one of those at the start where um, you know, in the beginning, it was this big rush to make these ventilator components because we thought we were going to need so many of them. And it's something Formlabs mentioned yesterday, actually, that, that they they went to manufacture things like that. And it turns out we didn't actually need as many as, as we thought we did. And there was there was a lot of people trying to um, trying to solve that problem. And so looking through the blog, when you see how things have changed and how things have almost um, 
streamlined and um, do, do you think sort of we're uh, we're a bit better prepared now to know where 3d printing offers the most advantages like save that if we do get this second wave or even for any other future future crisis where um 3d printing may be a help do you think where we kind of understand now what where the technology kind of as as the best fit I, I think so. I, d I do remember, I think there was loads of that kind of stuff on social media where people had the capacity or, or some capacity and, and were trying to figure out how best to to harness that. Um, mm -hmm. It's just settled down now, I think. Um, as Dan mentioned, everybody knows what application their, their printer is. It's probably suitable for um, people have a much better idea of what the what kind of their capacity can handle and what volumes they'd be they'd be working at and i think by this point most companies will have will have matched up with an end user whether it's you know like photocentric with the nhs um and just kind of a local healthcare center um they'll have secured contracts so on maybe even have discussions like you say about how their services might be required if you know further down the line um or maybe production continues and they, they begin to store parts and in inventory. I don't know how they'll go about that. But I would also suggest as well that traditional suppliers who were maybe caught cold by the supply chain disruptions and so on earlier this year, that they'll also be better prepared too. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see to what degree 3D printing is needed or deemed to be the better route to go down if and when supply chain are stretched again and demand spikes. Um, I think we've heard in a couple of instances how AM was used as a kind of short-term option and then um, while manufacturers went to kind of source their tooling and so on for a traditional method of manufacture, um, they'd have product going out for a few weeks and then they were able to scale up to, to mass volume. So maybe we'll see more of that. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out yeah and it, it's interesting to yeah, see how it I has think it... sorry dan you go ahead <laughs> no no i was going to just agree with sam it's like it uh, it's obviously i'm going to use that dreaded word it was unprecedented this and mm. at the start there was a lot of scrambling but actually i feel like i'm quite su pleasantly surprised with how quickly the industry got its act in order um obviously yeah. there were initiatives like the america makes one in which there was best practices that were shared there and it kind of goes some way to show how um, flexible this industry is and this te these technologies are. But, you know, I still think that as good as it all is and it all seems on, on the surface, I I think it's going to be very difficult to tell how much of an impact it did make. Like, mm -hmm. I quite like your point earlier, Sam, about all of these things. You'd expect that they would make an impact. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the reason that we're having to deal with so many PPEs is because of a... Um, it's because of a short-sightedness from a government and not supplying the materials in the first place. Really, we should be we should have been stockpiling all that stuff. Um, so, I'm um, 3D printing's always mm -hmm. had this like it's good in a uh, it's good in tragic circumstances or it's good in a crisis because we often saw that with the you know the houses or with 3D printed um, prosthetics and things like that. But this was a really impressive demonstration about how it could do it yeah yeah and i suppose we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that i was going to talk about it later actually but i guess we'll talk about about that now then so you know ed did comment before that he believes that 
um, the way 3D printing has really stepped up to, to this challenge has, has changed people's view of the technology. And that is certainly something that, that I've been hearing from, from conversations where maybe people hadn't considered it before for, for certain applications, or maybe they're a little bit weary of it, thinking the material properties weren't as good, or you know, worrying about all the extra things you've got to think about in order to, to manufacture something with 3D printing. But you know, do, do you think that, that that's fair to say that you know we we are seeing a slight attitude change towards 3D printing. And also, do we need to kind of capitalize on this moment in a way to to kind of help that acceptance grow even further? You know, it, it's kind of like when when everyone was talking about 3D printing and it was a consumer thing, but then it didn't actually go anywhere. So people stopped feeling excited about it and you had this dip. In a way now it's like people know this can be used for these applications for very very real real world problems and and scale up to mass manufacture so do we need to kind of jump on that now and, and keep talking about it so that people keep using it for for these worthwhile applications i, I, I think so and do you want to go, go first on, after you. okay no after you um, well i i think um as you as you said and as ed alludes to um there'll be There'll be manufacturers out there, maybe even um, end users on in the medical field as well, who have probably a newfound trust in the technology in terms of, um, as Dan mentioned before, the ability to meet a need quickly and do so repeatedly and at scale. Um, I think from from the conversations I've had, um, companies seem to be um, talking about the kind of the, the flexibility of it within the supply chain and um, the flexibility it offers in factory setups, bringing with it the ability to allow manufacturers to turn parts around quickly, um, make something tomorrow that they weren't making yesterday. Uh, and these ideas of distributing manufacturing and producing parts locally as uh, Photocentric have been doing and, you know, closer to the point of need, as you mentioned before, deploying that infrastructure in several locations if they need to so you're not relying on one location to manufacture all of your products like the whole world seems to be doing with with china and, and regions in asia and this industry yeah. has been talking about things like that for a long time um and i think a lot of manufacturers will maybe now see the benefit of implementing am for those reasons post covid 19 and um another another thing to add on to that we've spoken between as Laura CEOs of Materialize and Zometry who've both highlighted how that, that not only helps in supply chain crises like we saw during the pandemic but also will help a great deal in in the fight against climate change um, and you know kind of that's the whole sustainability message um, so there's definitely scope to harness the many experiences from this crisis and attribute them to things that manufacturers are going to have to consider um, now and certainly in the future. It's like a, a real, like, it's like a real condensed version of the hype cycle, basically. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned there, Laura, that we saw the hype of the, and it was when we both probably started at first, it was in the peak hype, the peak uh, will I am as chief creative <laughs> officer days. Uh, and there was a, there's a, there's this constant argument with about that about how it un you know it unlocked the message of 3D printing in the boardrooms. I'm I'm not so sure it did, but at least this is something that is an industrial application, and it does, as Sam said, show that we can have these decentralized supply chains that and we can move quickly. Um, but 
inevitably there are going to be people who say right okay well if it works for this it'll work for that and then it doesn't work for that at the end of the Mm -hmm. day it's still about finding the right application it doesn't matter what or how quickly it is um but one thing i will say is that we talk a lot about like the cost justification of 3d printing and um sometimes when it comes down to it the cost is too high for people to really move towards it Uh, and phil Mm -hmm. reese once said to me that like people can um and ah about the cost of 3d printing but when it comes down to a crisis and there's a problem and it and it's flexible to enough to uh, to make that part then the price goes out of the window and and he was using that as an example about a part on a car mm. where somebody down the line had forgot to order something in the supply chain and then they needed that part so they did a low mm-hmm. volume run of 3d printing and it worked and nobody really knew and mm-hmm. so it's nice to see that the technology does have this like place in a crisis and that therefore but crises aren't just limited to pandemics crises are limited to a lot of tooling to a lot of different things in manufacturing and 3d printing really can step into that and mm-hmm. um, step into that realm there so it's kind of like not just looking at 3d printing as its cost versus manufacturing but those things like speed and time and flexibility that it can gear up quickly uh, i think yeah. that's really interesting and i think you've touched on it before laura but it's interesting to see a lot of these OEMs like Photocentric almost kind of pivot to a um, different business model, a service bureau business model, um, in which they have done in, the, in this crisis. And, you know, it's nice to see that that, that that is capable in this industry is, I'll say it again, it's the buzzword of the day, it's flexible. No, it, it's true. And as you said, especially for a business like Photocentric, which isn't traditionally supplying parts to, to customers you know they, they manufacture materials and they manufacture printers as well so there's a lot of businesses doing that I think it was the report from context we had a couple of months back now which said very early on about companies shifting from selling machines to using their machines um you know to 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 make parts and while they none of them really see that as a, as a long-term business strategy it's certainly something they can do in the interim and in fact, there's a service provider um, who I spoke to. So Christina Perla, who is the CEO of MateLab, and they're a Boston-based um, 3D printing provider. Um, she said, funnily enough, even though they're a service provider already, that for all the work that they kind of lost during the first couple of months of the crisis, or April to May, I think it was, um, that they actually made up for that with the demand for PPE. So it's another way of showing that, you know, 3D printers are not just built for one thing, like you can, you can very quickly change up whatever design you, you need to print at the time. And, you know, that that's that's amazing to me that in that, that two months that they were able to, to, to patch that with providing items for this crisis. Um, so what I wanted to talk about, because I know um, we spoke about this kind of when we were talking um, earlier today, but um, a bit about mass manufacturing and, and how this pandemic and particularly this this story with Photocentric has really height, uh, highlighted how we can um, how we can switch to to, to scale manufacturing and, and switch to mass manufacture with 3D printing. So I think Ed said, is it 350,000 components um, a week for, for these face shields? And, you know, these are the kinds of numbers that we have only really seen so far, like proper proper numbers, proper mass manufacture from and things like the hearing aid industry and um, more recently things like aligners. But that has been established like over time, whereas this, things like the, the face shields and the, and the the swabs especially that mass manufacturers just come about or feels like overnight really we've really been able to just quickly um accelerate and and, and scale up and i suppose it's um with with someone like photocentric that makes kind of uh, the 
like smaller machines. Although I think the, the Magnafarm uh, machines are, are they're slightly um, bigger, and you know you get more printers and you, you scale up manufacture that way. So um, do you think it's kind of shown 3D printing's ability to enable that mass production at scale now and show that there are more areas that we can really do this? I, I think if the obviously if the application is right and in 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 the case of the test and solves if you can process a suitable material that can can get certification um, then I think um, as we've seen with some of the other parts that you mentioned that it can fulfil orders to big scale so um, you know you could argue in some instances during the pandemic the technology has demonstrated the level of repeatability and quality that was required it's um you know it's not the same as a part that maybe needs to have a longer lifespan a, a greater level of reusability or durability um but in this instance parts have been delivered at scales like you say and you know we've only seen in a few other applications i think um as ed references and dan mentioned before that the cost of materials um and equipment and you know overall the cost per part probably does remain a barrier so long as companies aren't in in a state of crisis if they've got time to think about it and make those calculations then um i think i think these higher volume applications will still for the time being be few and far between um obviously i don't think anybody's expecting to be hearing about new mass volume applications every day post pandemic um, they'll still be the uh, exception to the rule if you like um, but in some factories um, maybe there is as we mentioned kind of a new perception of the technology and you know in, in time who who knows what that will lead to. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's kind of highlighted what we did already know in the you know mm -hmm. as you mentioned what is it 99% of all custom hearing aids are 3d printed and it's a quite similar application but in a way custom 3d printed earphones are even better because of this because obviously they are each one is different uh but like i i looked at something like the the chanel makeup brush which i bring up quite a lot but i find <laughs> that it, it's that one of the enablers of that is the the ability of post-processing and it's all about uh automation and i know that you know we're going to talk a little bit about like the bot farm situation but what they're doing there, um, photocentric, you, you do need this like hive mind for all the machines. And there's quite often like you'll see some of the marketing that will say that we well, could buy a thousand of these smaller machines or one big machine. And you need the, them all to be connected and you need some level of automation at the back end of that, because mm -hmm. otherwise the manual labor that goes into it becomes too labor intensive and becomes too cost intensive. And that's the same when it comes to SLS printing and technologies like uh, amts and like dimensions and post-process have all enabled them all to scale up a little bit quicker um i personally think that hp's um technology has really benefited from that um like in terms of mass manufacturing and we've seen quite a lot of these like smaller not necessarily low volume but these kind of mass, mass mass manufacturing applications with those technologies that's proved to be cheaper than injection molding, let's say. Mm -hmm. But it is about, for me, it's still all about that manual process at the end of it, what the end of a part. If you injection mold a part, it comes out and it's good to go pretty much. But if mm -hmm. you've got to clean every part and you've got to 
make um, cure every part and you've got to wash every part, then that's a different story. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that I do think we have mass manufacturing applications and this does and the crisis has shown those up. Uh, but I still think that it's all about what comes out at the back end, to be honest. And it's, it'd be interesting to see whether in two years these kind of parts are being mass produced with additive because there's no guarantee that when everything settles down that it, it is the best way to produce a, a test and swab or a, a face shield component. Well, I think we spoke about this when we, we first did our um, COVID-19 podcast where we said it's you know just the facial component is maybe 3D printed, but you've still got to, you know, find that that acetate to, to use as the shield and, you know, whatever is, is going to attach those things. So you're, you're right. And maybe it, it won't be the, the, the best or most efficient way to, to make these devices in the long run. Um, and kind of just extending a little bit on what you were saying then, Dan, about, about um, mass manufacture. So in um in the interview, I'd mentioned the fact that you know this is um this has been quite a a quick learning curve for them. You know they they've managed to scale up with with the manufacturing of these products, but they're hoping to now um replicate these three D printer farms for other industries and, and and other applications. And um you know there's there's plenty of applications that we've we've just mentioned there where where this could be could be really useful. Um. So do you think maybe is there's a good opportunity to take some of the lessons that we've learned here from things like, you know, from the mass manufacture with, with, with printer farms here and apply them elsewhere or maybe broaden business opportunities around 3D printing for other application areas? Maybe. I think, I, mean, I know um, there's, a, there's a few vendors um, like Stratasys and 3D Systems who do also kind of offer these printing services. I think, does Prusa have a print farm as well? Yeah. Um, and I think, um, as um, the context report earlier this year mentioned, um, with the with the economic concerns, um, it, would, it would probably seem um, on the face of it a good idea for for many companies who don't have that offering to to sort something out. Um, it would be, as they say, it'd be reasonable to expect that machine sales to dry up, um, and that could feasibly halt. Um, you know any momentum that has been generated with the technology in this period um but companies are still going to need parts um even if they're not paying for machines um and maybe you know in in a few more months if a if a second wave does materialize then hospitals and medical centers are, are going to need covid related parts at, uh, significant volumes again um so i can certainly see why companies might be looking to, to implement these kind of things even if you know as as i think you mentioned before it's it's only a temporary ar arrangement mm -hmm. dan i am um, i've i wonder like looking in towards the future uh in almost like a uh, a sci-fi level can it wouldn't it be possible rather than having all of these like bot farms where we've got hundreds of printers in one location if there was kind of like, a, I mentioned the word before, but like a hive mind uh, for, let's say you've got a suite of automakers across your business, across the world. Uh, if it can just gear up and say, right, okay, these are dormant now, we'll just send all these, these will all print there then. Um, I know that Airbus have been working on something that's very similar to like a 3D hubs model hmm. in which they want to connect all of the 3D printers that are on the Airbus network across the globe. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be unfeasible to say that, okay, these are all the, the dormant printers. And one of the like things that we have, the reasons that we're shaping the program differently for TCT 360 was to do with this like 
that there's a lot of dormant machinery in the world. And as we said, that we saw very early on in the uh, pandemic that people were saying, who had a 3D printer, how can I help? And that does sometimes, you know, is a little bit more of a hindrance occasionally. But if the software was there to say, I know that Carbon's printers are all connected to the cloud, let's say, and to say, right, okay, we need X amount. We, these are the printers across the globe. We know you've got dormant, um, you've got latent capabilities in there. Can we launch your 3D printer? Or do you agree to donate your 3D printer to this? Almost like an organ donor card hmm. for these causes. It would be quite nice rather than, I mean, because who's got room for a thousand printers in their house <laughs> or in their, in their factories? So it would be quite nice to see this kind of like, although, Although we talk about a decentralized, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that all of the machines, they can all still be connected. And in mm -hmm. this world of smart locations, smart things and the internet of things, we may have the capability to do that, but I think probably that's a bit pie in the sky. Hmm. I mean, I feel like when 3D Hubs announced what, what they were doing, I, I, I feel like there was maybe a, a certain level of that, that, that they were trying to do it with, with their users, but you might write, you know, it would take, some really smart software to be able to apply that on a on a on a truly large scale and it will be interesting to see was it was it airbus you mentioned before are, are doing something similar it'd be interesting to see what what that um, turns out to look like yeah i mean that airbus um application is really interesting it's just like a private 3d hubs basically on their platform mm -hmm. uh it's very difficult and there's a lot of firms who go around saying that oh we didn't know that this this part of the company had this 3D printer. We didn't know that. So basically you sign up to it yourself if you've got a 3D printer sitting on your desk or in the in your engineering shop. And then ultimately their goal is to have like the tier one and tier two suppliers come onto that and say the what facilities that they have. Mm -hmm. So there are all of these. And I know that there is a lot of software out there, the likes of Value Chain, who are trying to like do this like interconnected thing with all of the 3D printers on the, on somebody's network. Mm -hmm. But I, I would imagine there is, I mean, I am sitting next to, a dormant 3D printer here, not plugged in, and I think that I've kicked the extruder head off. But you know, it's here if anybody needs it. <laughs> Where are the worst advertisements for dormant 3D printers? I think I've got two at my mum and dad's house that just never get used. So, oh well. I'm a journalist, not an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we'll 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 wrap it um we'll wrap it up there. But it's just. I think what's important from this conversation is it, it has kind of highlighted and the things that Ed was talking about in the interview about were the things that we've learned could really um, benefit future future manufacturing and, and also just kind of feedback into the 3D prints industry as well in terms of what people actually need of this technology and, and, and where it can be can be best placed to help. Um, so thank you both uh, for joining me to, to talk more about this and thank you again to Ed and to Votocentric as well for, um, for doing that interview for us. We, we really appreciate it and hopefully it's something that we can do a little bit more of um, in future. Um, and thank you for tuning in and watching this TCT live broadcast. Uh, we do invite you to join our new Discord um, server um, after this. So um, we will be um, just hanging out in there. There's a lot of people from the 3D printer community um, already in there. So we'll put a link in the um, in the YouTube um, YouTube comments um, so you can go in and join us in there. And if you've got any questions about this or got anything that you want to share that maybe you've been doing with 3D printing and the fight against COVID, then that is the place to post it. We have a special um, COVID-19 channel within the server where we're just directing all that chat. So uh, yeah, come in and chat to us and chat to members of the additive manufacturing community there afterwards. So thanks very much and see you soon. Bye. Thanks everybody, goodbye.